Hello. Good mid-morning to ya. Praise the Lord. Well, I am, as you can imagine, very excited about the Bible today. <laughs> um, today's chapter, for lack of a better uh, title, February 21, Matthew 21, this is a very fruity chapter. Very fruity. And I'm going to explain why. Because there's a lot of references to various kinds of fruits. And here's a, here's a for instance. This is very interesting. So, um, this place, when they drew nigh into Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, or Bethpage, Bethpage means house of unripened figs. And um, I'm sure this has to do with um, the, the way this hamlet became a place was it was probably a, a storage place for unripened figs to ripen. Um, it's kind of like, you know, our, our last names now, um, like my last name is Richardson. That comes from son of Richard. Um, side note from the chapter here, my son's name is Madison. And of course, everybody, my son's age, it was such a popular name for girls to be named Madison. So when Madison was in class and several other girls were named Madison and my son's name was Madison. <laughs> when people would, by the way, it came to that because Morgan and Madison are only 18 months apart. And when I was settling on a name between, um, Morgan or Madison, I settled on Morgan and I got pregnant so fast. Morgan wasn't even a year old yet and I was pregnant. And so I just said, boy or girl, this one's Madison. Cause that was the other name. So yeah, Madison's the boy and every other girl in Madison's class, like it was named Madison. And when people would say, that's a girl's name. I, my, my argument was, no, it's not. Madison means, and this is true. Madison means son of Maud. That's the grand name of Madison. I guess you would have to find out the definition for the name Maud to know what son of Maud means. So that's my argument for to these little girls saying, Madison's a girl's name. No, it's not. It means son of Maud, like these little seven-year-old girls. <laughs> oh, but anyway, Beth Page means house of unripened figs. So I said, this is a fruity chapter. It literally starts out fruity. There's so many references to fruit in this chapter. And another interesting definition in here is Bethany. Now, a lot of things happened in Bethany through scripture. Bethany is where um, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived. Um, Simon, uh, I think he was a leper. Is it Bethany? There's a lot of stuff in scripture that happens at Bethany. So there, is, there are two definitions for 
the, the word and name Bethany. And the first one is house of ripe dates. And the second is house of misery. And the scholars say that this is actually a secondary definition, house of misery, um, and that the initial definition is house of ripe dates because that's where over the process of time when it came to crops, this was, um, uh, Bethany was, was a famous place for purchasing ripe dates, just like Beth Page got its origin from being a place where figs were stored in an unripened state until they were ripened. Um, so anyway, a lot, a lot of fruit in this chapter. A lot of fruit in this chapter. We'll come down to these parables where Jesus also references fruit. Um, I want to start with an understanding that I got for the first time today. And I have always wondered when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and, you know, all these people are laying down their clothes and the palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, I've always wondered where that crowd came from because I know that I, I always knew that this was the case that people, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So if the city was asking like, who is this? What's this about? And I've also always known that, um, okay, if you've ever watched the movie Aladdin, and, you know, the genie comes up with all this stuff to make Aladdin look like a prince. Um, that is very common for ancient times. So they, you know, kind of the posse would lay the groundwork for the, the prince coming into town. And, and the, the parade is what would tell the people the importance of the guy leading the parade, right? And so the city didn't actually know who Jesus was. When he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So it was not the city laying out the clothes and the palm branches. It was the multitude. And so I'm wondering, where's this multitude from? A great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he, who is this multitude? And you actually need to go to the chapter before because in um, chapter 20, not 21, in chapter 20, verse 29, as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And the, this multitude is the one following through all of this. And they, who's the they? The great multitude. When they drew nigh into Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, then sent Jesus two disciples go into the village and bring a donkey and the colt with her. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh. Which prophet? Zechariah. That's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And so then Jesus gets into Jerusalem. This multitude, again, these are people who have been involved with Jesus 
for all these previous events, okay? And so this Jerusalem is not in the know as to what's going on. And Jesus gets into Jerusalem and went to the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it in the thieves. Okay. So now he starts, he, he not, I don't know if it was purposefully or not, but it's the nature of, of what, what needed to happen right now. Um, if you read chapter 20, um, Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, behold, we go to Jerusalem. The son of man shall be betrayed into the chief priests shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock him. Gentiles being the Romans to mock and scourge and to crucify him. The third day he shall rise again. Until I read Matthew, I had not realized how often Jesus told them what was going to be happening. So I don't know that Jesus stirred them up on purpose or it was just what happened. It was just time for it. But nevertheless, um, after he drives out the, the money changers, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The pre chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple. And this is what the children were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus said, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? This is um, Psalms chapter eight, verse two. Isn't it so cool how much Jesus and Matthew quotes scripture. I love that they're just constantly quoting scripture. They're, Jesus was not merely outdoing his own, uh, you know, he wasn't just cowboying it up out there doing his own thing. He was in line with the word of God. He was very educated in the word of God. He knew enough of the word of God to quote it. He was, even though he was God in the flesh, he was, was a servant and he lived under the law. He brought himself under the law. Even people living in revival and harvest cannot begin to live outside of the law of God. It is written and we need to know what is written. We need to submit ourselves to what is written, live by what is written. Even Jesus Christ himself was well-educated and lived under the law, was made under the law. It's a, it's a place of power when we submit and surrender ourselves to the law of God. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And, and I love this. I actually didn't realize that this was actually children um, until I went and read 
um, this Psalms 8-2, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise. Um, this word perfected means established and the word praise. The reason I point this out is because Psalms 8-2 in the Hebrew that's um, translated to English, it actually says um, ordained strength instead of per perfected praise. But the word perfected and ordained are the same word. It means established. And praise means strength, majesty, and praise in the this Hebrew word. The word strength in Psalms 8-2 means strength, majesty, and praise. And so out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise or um, established strength. And I just love how children are such a part of the work of God. You know, Jesus had that situation where he said, allow the children to come to me, forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, except you become as a child, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Children and the ways of children are important to our ability to see the kingdom of heaven and to grow in the things of the kingdom of God. Um, as we become mature in the ways of God, we cannot neglect the behaviors of children. Um, what behaviors of children? I'm not talking about the rebellious ways of children. I'm not talking about the, the sneaky or mischievous ways of children, but I am talking about that faith that a child has. Um, the, the, the ability to, to forget, uh, wrongs and, and hold grudges. Children can get into a big old fight on the playground, go tell a teacher, and the teacher can make a phone call to the parents, get off the phone with the parents, come out to the playground, and those kids are playing. Absolutely no, <laughs> no uh, animosity is felt toward each other anymore. It's the grown-ups who feel the animosity still, not the children. The children get along just fine. <laughs> and so Jesus continually says, you've got to become as children, except you become as a child. And then here we have the children in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. The, the, uh, the, the chief priests and scribes were displeased that Jesus was allowing the children to cry out, to, to be heard in the temple, in such a, such a place as the temple. And Jesus said, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, God has perfected praise. He has established strength. And so even us as adults, we have to remember that we need to adopt some some behaviors of children because there's some very powerful things that that are found in the ways and behaviors of children um and i could dwell on that more but i'm not going to right now i'm going to move to this next piece right here um jesus curses a fig tree this is this is an important lesson for us um, 
They returned into the city and Jesus was hungry and he saw a fig tree in the way and he came to it. Now there another gospel, I can't remember which one right now, but says um, he saw the tree afar off and, and seeing it afar off, he thought he was going to be able to eat from it. And the reason he thought he was going to be able to eat from it is because it had leaves. Now, um, people have found it unfair that the other gospel says um, the season was not yet. So it was not see it was not a season for figs. And remember, this is this is this whole chapter starts with the house of unripened figs. It's, it's amazing how fruity this chapter is. So Jesus comes up to a fig tree and he was hungry. And because he saw leaves, he came up to it. I had to do some research and um, I learned in my research, because I've never grown up around fig trees, but I learned in my research that the first thing a fig tree produces is the bud of a fig and then leaves. And then that fig matures under the canopy of leaves. And so because Jesus saw at a distance that it had leaves on it, he had the right, even though it was out of season, he had the right to assume it had figs. And he came up on it and he found no figs on it. So he said, let no fruit grow on the henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. The disciples saw it and they marveled. How soon is the fig tree withered away? We'll get to this next piece in a second. But I want to tell you what the, what this sermon is of this fig tree right here. This is symbolic of hypocrisy that Jesus saw a fig tree with leaves, meant that fig tree was pretending to have fruit. And it wasn't until you got up close to the fig tree that you were able to see there is no fruit on this. And he killed the fig tree because of it pretending it had fruit. It pretended it was hypocrisy. And we can dress the dress, walk the walk, talk the talk, but not be producing fruit. To everybody else, we can be looking so fruitful. But when Jesus is actually hungry for some fruit from us and we are not producing fruit, we can very quickly be cursed and dry up and wither away. We've got to make sure we're doing more than looking the part, having leaves only. We've got to be fruitful. Be fruitful. That's the lesson for us in this. But then there's more. Jesus, they were surprised, like, oh my goodness, like, he literally said that it was going to be cursed, and the next day it was. And Jesus answered and said to them, I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which was done to the fig tree, but also say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Jesus is reiterating to them, 
over and over and over the power that is in their tongue, if they will just believe in the reality that they are speaking things into existence, they can actually harness that power and begin to really operate in the re- in the miraculous, which by the way, is what we see them doing throughout the book of Acts. That's exactly, the, they got the lesson. They just, they just didn't really start operating in it until Christ's ascension, but they did get the lesson and started operating in it throughout the book of Acts. All things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Oh, prayer is such a powerful thing. Our tongue is such a powerful thing. Okay, so then Jesus, these chief priests and and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Now, we know from the woman at the well, and we know from his conversation with Peter, that Jesus was already revealing to those that he could trust by what authority he did these things. He literally told a Samaritan, he told the woman at the well, I am he, I am the Christ. And when Peter said, you are the Christ, Jesus affirmed that. So he was telling people, but he couldn't trust these people. They were too self-righteous for him to trust them with this knowledge. And instead, he went about talking to them in parables because he couldn't trust them. And he said, what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first son and said, go, go work. And that first son said, no. But afterward, he repented and went. And he went to the second son and said also, go work. And the second one said, sure, absolutely, I will go. But he went not. And so Jesus said, I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots are going to be the ones into the kingdom before you. The publicans and the harlots are going to be the one having revival and harvest being a part of actively engaging in the fruit of the kingdom of God. But you're not going to. And I say to us who have been saved for a while, watch yourself. Let a man examine himself. We need to watch out because even though we have been in the kingdom for a long time, if, if we stop engaging in the harvest, publicans and harlots, God will absolutely save them at the 11th hour and bring them in to do a work for God. And we will be left in the dust. He's done it before. He can do it again. And let us not become like the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and think we've got it all wrapped up. Just because we've been sitting on a pew for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. No, no, no. Watch yourself. Just because we were first born does not mean that we've got it all wrapped up and we can just sit back and do nothing. Absolutely not. And 
Then we come into more talk about more fruit. A certain householder planted a vineyard, hedged around it, digged a wine press, built a tower, and then let it out to husbandmen. Let it out to husbandmen. In other words, people who were going were supposed to these people, these husbandmen were supposed to properly take care of the harvest. But when the time of the fruit drew near, the householder, the one who actually was the Lord of the harvest, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that he might receive the fruits of it. Now, don't forget, we are the ones who are supposed to be in the harvest. Look on the fields. They are ripe, are ready to harvest. And the servants, they are akin. This is a parable where the servants are akin to the prophets that came before. And the husbandmen took those servants, beat one and killed another and stoned another. And that's what um, Jesus is accusing these um these holders of the law of having done to the prophets. That is exactly what they did to the prophets. By the way, you couldn't see, but I'm referencing Jeremiah, <laughs> Ezekiel. That is what they did. The servants came and the husbandmen killed the prophets. <sighs> And so, last of all, the householder sent his own son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. They caught him, cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. Mm. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And they, talking about who is the they we're talking about, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. This reminds me of the, um, uh-oh, stars, stars seeing squirrels or something out in the yard. She's frustrated. This reminds me of the prophet Nathan coming to David. And t telling him that parable about the lamb. And uh, David saying, kill whoever took that poor man's lamb. And the prophet said, you are that man. That's what Nathan said to David. They say, he, the householder, will miserably destroy those wicked men. They're talking about themselves. And will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their season. And that's exactly what occurred. The, the, uh, the vineyard was let out to the Gentiles, which is us, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. We better be rendering fruits. We better be looking on the fields that are ripe already for harvest and we better be in the harvest field because this is not only a parable to those scribes and Pharisees that he's talking to, but we, we better take this to heart. Let a man examine himself. And um, 
Therefore, I say unto you, Jesus said unto them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is Psalms 118 that he's quoting, verses 22 and 23. Ah, we're getting on the end here. And the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables and they perceived that he spake of them. They, they're finally wising up to what's going on. And they sought to lay hands on him. My word. He literally just said. When the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him. Let us seize on his, his inheritance. They caught him, cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And they said, let's lay hands on him because they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Oh, it's so sad when people cannot see themselves. I think that's what this fruity chapter is about. Let's watch ourselves. Let a man examine himself. Are we looking at ourselves when we're talking about hypocrisy, when we're talking about having leaves we look at from a distance people who pass by look at us and say wow what a beautiful fig tree but once they really look under the leaves is there fruit is there fruit mm. in jesus name thank you for joining me today god bless you have a great day in jesus name